This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Hello everyone. Takaho. Selamat datang. Konnichiwa. Hola. 안녕하세요. Assalamu alaikum. And Kiora. Connecting Cultures Features is a show by and for the beautiful and diverse multicultural people of Dunedin. Join me every Friday noon for Connecting Cultures Features on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM, podcast on oar.org.nz. Listening to Connecting Cultures Features on RFM. Kia ora, everyone. Welcome to Connecting Cultures Features, a show by for and about the multicultural people of Dunedin and New Zealand. 
Today I'm here with Greg Hewson, um, and we're going to talk about the World Interfaith Harmony Week. Um, there'll be a celebration dinner happening very soon. Mm-hmm. Kia ora, Greg. Kia ora, Arina. Thank you for mm. being here today. Thank you for the invitation. How's your year so far? Well, we've had a wonderful year with our family. Uh, we had a wedding on a lovely beach near Picton called Narcuta Bay. On the 19th of January, we gathered to celebrate the marriage of our son, Paul, to his Norwegian fiancée, Mari. Wow. And they came from Norway. And I was privileged to officiate at um, at their wedding. So that was a highlight of my life, really, to be there with my immediate family and to be able to officiate and to pronounce them husband and wife and then Mm. to celebrate that with a lovely meal afterwards. And we had a week staying in Picton, which was beautiful. Every day we did something special as a family. So we returned to a rather overgrown garden garden here in Dunedin. We've been (laughs) harvesting a lot of vegetables and mowing lawns and... um, yeah, enjoying the fine weather, like today is going to be 30 degrees. Yeah, it's been really warm lately. Mm. 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 It must be a really special moment to be um, officiating your son's wedding. It's yeah. Yes, yes, it's really very special, and it's one of those deep, sacred, spiritual experiences that can't really be expressed in words, but um, it was a wonderful occasion, and hundreds of photos, of course, to celebrate and to help remember that special service that we shared together, just a group of 16 of us on the beach mm. in a remote area of the Marlborough Sounds. It's beautiful. It's, it sounds like a very small, um, familiar wedding, so it's mm. We it's kept beautiful. it small, just our four children, their partners and their children, so it was the first time our whole family had been together for four years mm. and the first time our six grandchildren had been together. I love to hear mm. family reuniting mm. now. Mm. Mm. Yes, COVID, of course, put the brakes on that, mm. um, especially with contact with our Norwegian family. Mm. Um, that's something I'm really looking forward to mm. do as well, going back mm. to Malaysia this April to mm. be with family. Mm. Mm. Oh, that'll be wonderful for you after all this time. Yeah. Um, mm. So what do you do now, Greg? I'm retired. Um I am still a a minister of the Methodist Church of New Zealand, so I officiate at um, church services about once, sometimes twice a month in the Dunedin Methodist Parish, and I continue my involvement with the Dunedin Abrahamic Interfaith Group um, and the Dunedin Interfaith Council, and also I'm an active member of the Dunedin Photographic Society, so I've had more time to explore my photographic interests particularly of birds in nature and I spent some time at the Hawkesbury Lagoon um, back in early January near Waikawaiti photographing a beautiful kotuku white heron and it was the first time in my life that I'd seen this particular bird and it was a beautiful experience to, to spend five or six hours just the two of us, myself and the bird, (laughs) capturing hundreds of photos, which I'm releasing slowly, one at a time on Facebook, one a day. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) Um, How often do you go on those retreats uh, for photography? 
Well, sometimes we go as a group. Each year we um, we go on a three or four day retreat. Uh, last year we went to Tianyo, and the year before to Arthur's Pass. This year possibly to Stewart Island. Mm. So, but then there's a monthly outing as a photographic society. But in addition to that, there's the family photography that I do and walking along the beaches. I always take my camera. Mm. Spent some time out at Brighton recently just sitting in a pool, enjoying the, the waves coming in and just being in, being in nature is something I, I have more time for now. Mm. And we live in a beautiful country with lots of native species and it just mm. fits your... Uh, passion perfectly. Mm. Mm. Yes, we're very aware of other places, especially Auckland at the moment, which is saturated, and I'm in touch with family and friends up there who are finding it very difficult. So mm. it's possible that at some stage, of course, what they're going through will happen to us. And so any support that we can offer them at this time is appreciated. Yeah. I did visit Singapore for 10 days back in September of last year for an international interfaith conference on building cohesive societies. Wow. And um, I was astonished in Singapore at um, how much concrete there was and how many buildings and how many people in such a small area. Mm. But they have maintained some beautiful areas as reserves with the botanical gardens and the bird park, places mm. like that where nature is still thriving. But, yeah, overall, New Zealand, of course, has far much more wide-open spaces than places like Singapore. Mm. Do you have any plans to visit other countries in the future? Possibly we may go to Norway later this year via Singapore mm. and possibly via the Holy Land. Mm. Uh, that's been something I've longed to do throughout my life. Um, that's something I'd like to do during my um, retirement at some stage, I guess. In some ways, it's like a Muslim person wanting to go to Mecca mm-hmm. <laughs> for me to go to the place where Jesus was born and walked and taught would be very special and I'm sure would enrich my faith. Yeah. But our family are having a special wedding party in Norway in July, which is their summer to celebrate the wedding that we've had in January here in New Zealand. So we would hope, God willing, to uh, go to that. Yeah, sounds like um, you've got lots of things to look forward to this year. Yes, we are concerned, as we all are, about the war in Ukraine Mm. and the possibility of escalation, which we pray will not happen, but that is very unsettling for the people of Europe Mm. and for NATO countries and for our whole world as we agonise really over the senseless killing and death that's happening in Ukraine. Mm. Mm. Let's talk about your um, personal journey. Mm -hmm. Um, So how did you end up being a reverend? I was born into the Methodist Church as a child. I was raised um, in a family who were actively involved in the church with regular worship and um, Easter camps and opportunities to make my own commitment, which I did when I was 13. Mm. And then at university, I went to Massey University in the mid-70s and became actively involved with the chaplaincy worship on 
campus leading the music group. I played the piano. I led the music group there for three years. So I came out with a degree in biochemistry and physiology, but also with a lot of growth experiences in my Christian faith as a student at university. There were lots of opportunities to grow and deepen my faith. Then I moved to Hamilton and became involved in the church there as a youth group leader. Mm. And that's where my wife and I met. And I was married in that church when I was 21. Mm. And um, after about seven years in agricultural research, using my biochemistry degree, I did a further master's degree in biological science, thinking I might become a scientist, but then... It was suggested to me that I might like to consider ordained ministry within the church. And so I prayed about that for about a year, then allowed my name to go forward. And you go through a one-year selection process, and at each stage I was affirmed. So I retired from my scientific career and went to Theological College in Auckland for three years Mm. and did a degree in theology through Otago University. Mm. How was that? course. That was very challenging academically, um, academic study of the scriptures for the first time, study of church history, study of Christian theology, study of pastoral theology, and a lot of practical assignments. I spent two months in, in jail in Parimarema Maximum Security Prison mm. <laughs> uh, as a chaplain, not as an inmate. I went to Samoa and Tonga for six weeks and lived in the villages, joining in with everything in the church life. And I served for two months in a parish in Huntley where I conducted my first funerals. So there were a lot of practical um, requirements for training for the Methodist Church ordained ministry. And then 1988, my first parish church appointment was in Fielding. So my family and I moved there, and we were there for six years. Then we moved to Gisborne, which was very much a multicultural church with Samoan and Tongan people, and we had six years there. And then in the year 2000, I applied, well, in 1999, I applied for the position of ecumenical chaplain at the University of Otago, and I began here in Dunedin on the 1st of February 2000, and that was a three-year appointment. But um, I stayed for 19, no, 20 years in that role. Wow. Kept rolling over, and I kept finding new things to do, and I kept receiving positive feedback. Mm-hmm. And so moving to Gisborne was a really a big growth in multicultural awareness and meeting with Māori, Samoan, Tongan, Fijian people a lot. Moving to Dunedin was my first experience of encountering people of all religions because within the university community, people of all religions are there studying and teaching. Mm. So I came to know Muslim students and Buddhist students and um, Jewish students and people from all around the world. Mm. And I helped establish the Centre for Peace and Conflict Studies and in a way, that became like a, a mini multi, multi-faith centre within the university because by far the majority of people who come to do their doctorates in peace and conflict studies are people of faith, and they're often motivated by their faith to study peace and conflict studies. 
So over the last 15 years or so, I've met Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims and Christians and Quakers and Catholics and all sorts of people who are really wanting to earth their spirituality and peacemaking and to make a difference in the world. Mm. Mm. Can you share with us how the um, Otago Chaplaincy was Mm. established? It was established in 1963, I think, yes. And at that time there was a lot of movement within all the churches in New Zealand to combine and to do things together. And one of those things they realised was they wanted to appoint ordained ministers to each university. So all the churches got together and raised the money to pay ministers in all the New Zealand universities. And they were appointed in the early and mid-60s. And chaplaincy boards needed to be established to employ those chaplains so they had an accountability structure. So whereas I'm a minister of the Methodist Church... Um, you know, funding would come in from the Anglican, the Presbyterian, the Baptist, the Salvation Army, Methodist and other denominations. And over the years at Otago there have been Baptists, there have been Presbyterians, Anglicans, Methodists in the role. So the, the technical word for that is ecumenical chaplain and ecumenos from which ecumenical comes is a, a word that describes the whole so we, the whole church is appointing someone to provide pastoral care and spiritual support for that community, generally for people who will have nothing at all to do with the church but will appreciate a spiritual advisor or a spiritual resource person, particularly if there is a tragedy or a sudden unexpected death. It's often the first time young people experience the, the death of a friend for example, happens at the university where over the years we would have between five and ten unexpected student deaths each year with illness or accident or suicide. Um, This was sadly part of the reality of life and often the people affected valued chaplaincy support in, in arranging a funeral and or a memorial service and or counselling, grief counselling afterwards. So this was part of the reason why chaplaincy was set up at Otago and in all the New Zealand universities to provide those sort of resource people beyond the boundaries of the church, sending people out to be available. Um, And the university was very receptive and open and supportive. Otago was the most receptive, open and supportive university to chaplaincy of all the universities in New Zealand to the point that they now levy students, I think it's $8 a year, for chaplaincy services. So when it seemed that um, the service would be lost due to lack of funding, the university stepped up. We don't want to lose this service. We don't employ the chaplains because they need to be free to critique the institution sometimes. Yeah with no fear of losing their jobs. But um, the university now uh, fund chaplaincy, Christian chaplaincy services to the extent of about 50% of the cost, whereas the churches are providing the other 50%. 
I'm glad that this mm. um it's available for students to mm. use, especially those who really need it mm. during the times. Mm. Um, what are some you know memories that you value while you were chaplain? One thing that I helped establish was Muslim chaplaincy, and that came through our Abrahamic interfaith group. And I remember after nine eleven, tragic event in New York where the twin towers came down and obviously these planes were being flown by people who claimed to be Muslims. Now, of course, the Muslim community internationally immediately dissociated themselves from the actions of those so-called Muslim um, people who were flying those planes and killing innocent people. So I had Muslim students after 9-11 come to my office asking for my support to put their case that this was not Islam. They were saying, Greg, we know you, we know that you will support us, won't you? <laughs> and we're going to write a letter to Critic and to the ODT as the Muslim University Students Association dissociating ourselves from the, um, these terrorist attacks. Um, and so I said, yes, I'll... I'll help you write those letters, and we signed them together, and they were published. And then I had an approach from the minister of Knox Church at the time, saying, "How can we support, you know, the Muslim community?" So we organised a gathering in the chaplaincy office with local Muslim leaders and Christian leaders and Jewish leaders, because the Jewish leaders said, "Oh, we're quite familiar with being attacked." Sadly. And at that stage there were death threats and hate mail and threats against the Muslim community as a result of 9-11, which we wanted to counter by showing solidarity. So we had the Dunedin City Council and the police represented as well, meeting in the chaplaincy, and we formed the Dunedin Abrahamic Interfaith Group, which has met every month since September 2001. And in 2004, we decided to start offering an annual peace lecture. And we would alternate between Christian, Jewish, Muslim. And we've done that. This year will be our 20th annual peace lecture. Wow. And we visit schools with groups of students who are Muslim, Christian, and Jewish together, go into a high school class and speak about how important their faith is to them for five minutes. And then the students ask questions for half an hour. I was part of that. And you were part of that, yes. <laughs> it was a very yes. special moment for, yes. Um, yes. for people wanting to ask questions. And yes. Especially, um, I went to an all-girls school, so mm. they asked a lot of questions about the hijab. Yes, was that mm. at St. Hilda's? Yes. yes. <laughs> I thank you for coming. Mm. And over these 20 years, you know, we visited St. Hilda's and Logan Park and... Um, a number of other schools, and we're hoping to continue that this year. Oh, John McGlashan was another one. Mm. Hope to expand that to include Hillcrest High School and Girls High. And when students who have been in the seventh form, which are the classes we often speak to, um, when they come on to university, they remember mm. and they, um, they come up to me and say thank you for that time. They remember learning a lot. And another one we went to often, Kavanagh College. So they have religious, well, it's now Trinity um, 
Trinity Catholic School is the new name of Kavanagh College, and they are very appreciative of our Christian, Muslim, Jewish visits. Because even the fact that three people from those three faiths are sitting together, very significant, it's modelling friendship. And the people who come learn a huge amount about the other person's faith and often meet up again afterwards. I remember once we went to Logan Park with a Christian, a Muslim and a Jewish student and there was a young Muslim woman from Africa sitting down the back of the class crying. And the teacher went over to ask her, why are you crying? And she said, I can't believe what I'm seeing because in the country she came from, this would never happen because of the faith would immediately, different faiths, they would immediately choose to have nothing at all to do with each other because they were frightened and there'd been a history of aggression and war. But here we are in New Zealand being able to model uh, a better way. Mm. Mm. Um, I like that the the students get to ask questions Mm. without judgment. Mm. Um, And I think Mm. providing a safe space to do that was very important because sometimes Mm. they do have questions, but they can't. They don't know if it's appropriate to ask. Mm. 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 That's right. Yeah, no, it is very emotional. It's very touching on the deepest parts of who we are when we take a risk to do something new Mm. and we trust that God is with us and that God will use that occasion to bless long-term people who are there. Mm. And so we create a lot of memories through such times of working for peace together and another thing we've done with the Interfaith Council, which was formed in 2013, this now includes people of all religions in Dunedin, is to go around and to help maintain each other's premises. Mm. So we'd have a group from the Interfaith Council go to the mosque and help with tidying up outside and planting and weeding. And then another week we might go up to the Mormon church and another month to the Quakers and Wherever there is need, you know, we will organise to go and do gardening together uh, to help maintain and beautify our own um, faith centres. And I think that's a way in which we show that we, yeah, we, we want each other to thrive. We don't want each other to feel that they're not wanted that they are accepted. We want them to know that everyone is welcome here in Dunedin. Mm. And that people mm. feel mm. Um, like they don't have to do it do things alone, that yeah. there are people to support them, other yes. groups. Mm. Yes, yes. And over the years, the existence of these groups has been really helpful in diffusing problems that might otherwise have escalated. So there were sometimes situations within the university or the wider community that... Um, you know, people in one particular religion were becoming very emotional and upset about the way they were being treated, you know, by another group, and we were able to be drawn in to consult and to have a meeting and to try and defuse some of that tension mm. before there was a hostile reaction. Yeah. You know, and one of those was to do with the, um, you know, the cartoons that were being made about um, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and that we knew as people of the Abrahamic group that this was a very sensitive issue. And so we were able to organise a gathering, you know, with with a Muslim artist 
and to talk about why, <laughs> you know, it was so offensive and to spread the news of that around the community that we'd, <clears throat> we'd met together to talk about it in an educational way mm. so that people understand. And once you understand why people are so sensitive, you can show more respect. Mm. And I know more, a lot more about Islam than I did before. And so my good friend, Dr. Najib, whom you're meeting with soon, mm. <laughs> who is one of the first Muslim chaplains, you know, he can lend me or give me a Quran, you know, and we can talk about it and I can ask him questions. And uh, at my farewell, Muhammad Rizwan came and gave me a, a set of three books on the life and teaching of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And so I read those and we can enter into dialogue. And similarly, Muslim friends can read uh, the New Testament of the Bible and understand a little bit more about how Christians see things. Mm. Mm. And there's a lot of overlap and yeah. a lot of similarly deep commitment to um, love and peace and joy and healthy living and um, justice issues, all very similar. Yeah. Mm. That's the thing with religion. You think that we're so mm. different, but mm. the core values are definitely what breaks yes. the same. Yes, mm. the core values. And one amazing core value of Islam is hospitality. Mm. And to now be, you know, my wife and I have just really loved being on the receiving end of so much amazing Muslim hospitality throughout our time in Dunedin. We're just deeply humbled whenever we get invited to a to a Muslim home for a meal, mm. <laughs> and it's so lovely. Mm. Yeah. I'm glad you've had um, such good experiences while mm. you were chaplain mm. and also being involved with the um, Abrahamic and interfaith groups. Mm. Mm. Yes, and I've chosen to continue with those groups in my retirement because I think they're very important, and I bring some historical perspective to those meetings Mm. each month, um, but I try to step back from leadership of those groups mm. and just be there to share about what we've done in the past. And um, the Abrahamic group does have a website on which we have the text of all of our peace lectures. Mm. So that is dunedininterfaith.net.nz. Um, I'll say that again more slowly mm. <laughs> if people want to write it down. It's just Dunedin. Interfaith, it's Dunedin Interfaith, all lowercase, dot net, dot nz. And on there you'll find resources on what is Islam, what is Judaism, what is Christianity. It took us a year to write all that. Mm. And then there's all of our peace lectures, starting in 2004 with David Longy. And that was the last um, public appearance that David made in his life. He was dying when he came to give it, and he um, over a thousand people turned up, and it was very spiritually powerful critique of the um, American invasion of, of of Iraq, but from a peacemaking perspective. And uh, yes, he died a few months later. And over the years, we've had um, prominent Muslim and Christian and Jewish academics from around the world 
including Dr. Sammy Awad, who's a Palestinian Christian from Bethlehem, we brought over to give the lecture. Dr. Ingrid Matson, a prominent um, woman Muslim scholar from Canada, who gave a brilliant lecture. Reverend Dr. Um, Leslie from um, England, a Methodist minister who um, came and spoke at our National Interfaith Forum as well. So have a look at that website and just flick through some of the wisdom that is there from these 19 so far, 20 later this year, Mm. people who are from Jewish, Christian, Muslim backgrounds but are deeply committed to peace and draw on the scriptures of those faiths to motivate them for peace. Um, in 2019, we had Imam, Imam Jamal Fowder come from Christchurch. And of course, with the killings on 15th of March 2019, Jamal was still affected deeply by that tragedy. And yet um, hundreds came to hear him say, love, not hate, will prevail. Mm-hmm. And that was beautiful. He had been part of our Abrahamic group as a student. <laughs> Wow. When he was doing his College of Education training. Mm. And so he said, yes, Greg, I will come. I don't really want to talk about it much, but I will come into this, you know, context because it's important what you're doing. And so we, we build up these networks with people, and when tragedies happen, we offer support. You know, Jamal and I still meet. And I was writing a book on marriage a few years ago, and he has a chapter in that on Muslim marriage. Mm. (laughs) And I have a chapter on Buddhist marriage because I have Buddhist friends. And so you never know how these relationships will will help later on. It snowballs. I think anything to do with interfaith, it snowballs, it builds a momentum that you don't quite know where it's going to go, but creates all sort of good good memories for people along the way. Yeah. Mm. And all the friends you made. Um, yes. I'm also glad that mm. these are resources now so mm. people can um, watch and yes. read and understand. Yes. Now we prioritize maintaining our website and I'm fortunate that my son Blair looks after the website. He, he is a website designer and he provides that site free of charge. And it's getting hundreds of hits all around the world each year. And it was because of the Abrahamic group that um, initially Dr. Haizal Hosseini was invited to the conference in Singapore 2019 to this international conference on cohesive societies because they knew about our Dunedin Abrahamic interfaith group and Haizal was the chairperson. So he got invited Um, And that was on the importance of multicultural harmony in the world and how to build it. And the one that I was privileged to go to in September of last year was devoted to the importance of interfaith harmony. Mm. And the Singapore people are proud that they, um, in Singapore, they have the most religiously diverse country in the world. And they believe that they manage that very well. They don't have religious conflict. 
Mm. Well, it's not in the open anyway, but they intentionally structure their society for interfaith harmony. So they must ensure that people abide by the Religious Harmony Act, and they also encourage religious leaders to meet regularly all over Singapore, and that's sponsored by the government. So the government in Singapore take an active role in saying um, we've got all these different religions here, we want coexistence, we want mutual um, edification and uh, appreciation of each other. Let's educate for letting each other know what is beautiful about each of our faiths. And it translates into lots of different practical policies in Singapore. For example, in um, these huge high-rise buildings that they have where people live, um, they have to have a balance of cultures in each high-rise accommodation building. And culture correlates very strongly with religion. Mm. So we can say, well, most Indian people will be Hindu. You know, and most people from a Malay background will be Muslim. Mm-hmm. Most people, um, you know, who are Chinese will be Buddhist or Christian. And so the, must, the percentage of each culture and faith, because they're correlated, must remain the same. So when a, a Hindu Indian family moves out, that may must be replaced by another Hindu family. When a Malay Muslim family move out of the 75th floor of the building, (laughs) they must maintain the ratio. And this is so that different faiths, different cultures are being required by government policy to grow up together in the same accommodation. Mm. If they didn't have that law, I think I know what would happen. There would be Indian high-rise buildings, and there would be Malay, and there would be Chinese. But there's an example of a country that is actually legislating for religious harmony. Now, that, of course, can be critiqued Mm. (laughs) by saying that is too heavy-handed, that is restricting human freedom, that is imposition of political um, intent that is... Not correct, you know. People should be allowed to live with those who are similar to them. Why do you? so? You get all that critique as well. Mm. But the current government of Singapore is saying it's working. We don't have religious riots. We don't have religious distress. And and they they organise at every level to do their best to encourage respect and understanding. And so we visited some holy places all around Singapore that illustrate how people of different religions in the same street work together. Mm. Because in Singapore you can have a Catholic church, a Methodist church, a Buddhist temple and a mosque and a Hindu temple (laughs) all in the same street. Mm. And their leaders and their people interrelate in a way that can organise for them all to go out and give food parcels during covid or can organise for them all to go out and clean up the streets, or can organise for them all to advocate for a better education system for their children together. So managing intercultural and interfaith dynamics is 
something that Singapore does have some things to teach us, I think. Yeah. Although in New Zealand, you know, we're a very secular society and most people would say they're not religious. By far the majority are not attending church or synagogue or mosque. And so we're different to Singapore. Singapore, Malaysia have predominantly religious believing populations and Indonesia, the whole of Asia, you know, is very religious. Mm -hmm. Buddhism, it's all there. Whereas in New Zealand, we're very much a minority as people of faith. Mm -hmm. And I think people who come to New Zealand from overseas, we're believing in God is normal, struggle sometimes with what's going on in New Zealand. Why do 90% of people not connect with any religious community. And so I've had many discussions with international students about that. Mm. And they struggle with saying to me, well, we thought it was a Christian country. (laughs) (laughs) Well, depends how you define Christian. You know, most people who came here were Christian originally, but in terms of active Christian involvement, that's not the case anymore. It's um, reduced considerably, whereas the other religions are increasing slowly but surely. Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism are increasing, largely due to immigration. But in the next generation, you know, there's, it's going to definitely be more of a multi-faith society than it was when I was a child. Certainly there's been a big change. And I think we need to appreciate that. And as Christians, not be defensive or scared about it, but to build respect between us with the leaders of other faiths and the people of other faiths. So for me, that all started with 9-11 being a trigger for the formation of an interfaith group that has been helpful for our wider community and world, I think. Mm. Mm. And I've certainly learned a lot and benefited a lot And so that's why I want to carry on in my retirement with these groups. Mm. Mm. And I really appreciate you sharing with us the things you learned in Singapore and, Mm. um, Mm. you know, all the experiences you had uh, being involved Mm. with the council. Mm. Uh, What would you advise to a Mm. common person Mm. in Dunedin um, who wants to try and be more involved in... um, Interfaith Harmony. Mm-hmm. Well, everyone is welcome to come along to our meetings. Um, and both groups, the Abrahamic Interfaith Group and the Dunedin Interfaith Council, meet monthly. Um, the Interfaith Council meets on the first Sunday afternoon of each month, 2.30 till 4 o'clock. And if um, people <coughs> email... Our secretary, I think it's Interfaith at gmail.com. They can find out where the next meeting is. Yes, it is Interfaith at gmail.com. The Interfaith Council also can be found on Facebook. So you can um, type in Dunedin Interfaith Council into the Facebook search and you'll get a little bit about how to contact the Interfaith Council. Um, the Abrahamic group meets at the university on the third Wednesday 
of each month at four to five o'clock. We keep those meetings to an hour. And some people feel happier about <clears throat> being involved with a group that um, is learning and working together with only three faiths. Um, when we go into schools, we talk about Judaism, Christianity, and Islam being monotheistic religions. That's how they're defined. We believe in one God. And therefore, there is a lot of theological similarity. When we study, you know, the emergence of Christianity came out of Judaism. A big part of our Christian Bible was the Hebrew Scriptures. Jesus was Jewish, <laughs> right? And um, some people don't think about that enough. And there's a lot of really good research going on about the Judaism of Jesus. How I heard last Sunday in a sermon, he, he sat down to teach, and this was the practice of the rabbis. Whenever there was anything significant spiritually to teach, the rabbi would sit. And so when Jesus taught outside... Um, he sat down, and the Bible, New Testament, will often say Jesus sat down and taught them, saying, Blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These are the Beatitudes from Matthew 5 that we heard in church last Sunday. And these are all teachings from Jesus that were um, part of the Jewish religion. You know, he was Jewish. He was putting forward that wisdom. And then hundreds of years later, when the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, had his revelations and the Quran came into our human consciousness, you know, there were a lot of the same stories that came through and um, a lot about Jesus in the, in the Quran and about his mother, Mary, you know, and these are beautiful to read and to ask questions of each other about why are there some differences? Why are there some stories in the New Testament that aren't in the Quran? Why are there some stories in the Quran about Jesus, for example, speaking as an infant, which are not in our Christian scriptures? And these are really interesting questions that we don't hesitate to explore together. And there are academic theologians who specialize in multi-faith dynamics and they study the scriptures. Um, and our peace lecturer last year, who's the Mufti of Singapore we brought over, he was highly skilled in understanding the Christian scriptures as well as the Quran. And an amazing man from, from Singapore who came to Dunedin and he's overseeing the work of hundreds of imams in Singapore. But getting back to Dunedin, yes, ordinary people are all invited next Wednesday evening mm. to our annual Dunedin Interfaith Council Harmony Dinner. And we've held this um, for about the last seven years. And a lot of people come to this and it's an opportunity to be together as people of different faiths or people of no faith, um, people who want to find out more about the Interfaith Council or people who just want to come for a one-off experience of interfaith harmony because the way in which we meet expresses what we're trying to do. And we meet 
altogether around tables laden with vegetarian food. And it is vegetarian food because that, that gets around all the dietary issues that might otherwise separate us. And so particularly for our Buddhist friends, who are a big part of our interfaith council, and for our Hare Krishna friends and others, who are vegetarian for spiritual reasons. You know, there's a lot of spiritual teaching about what we eat and how it must be good for us and good for the planet. So we have vegetarian food. People are invited, if they can, to bring a small vegetarian contribution. And it is held at the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is in St. Clair, um, up on the hill there. And everyone is welcome at 6.30 next Wednesday, the 8th of February, for two hours, and, and we eat together, and we're going to hear couple of speakers, one of the city councillors will speak, and also um, Dr. Rula, Rula, who's a Muslim woman, um, if you know her, Rula did her doctorate in peace and conflict studies, and she's going to be speaking about um, how important it is for us all as people of faith and everyone to understand Maori culture and Maori ways of being and Māori ways of living. And she has a particular interest in that. And of course, people of all cultures are very welcome. Some people um, prioritise, I think, their culture. And some people would say to me that they don't have any religion, but they might be of a Jewish culture. Mm. And this is the case for not only Judaism but other religions where people might come from a Muslim country, some of them might say to me, well, we don't um, necessarily believe much of that, but we are Muslim because we come from this country. Mm. And that happens with Christians from England as well. They believe that, well, they're sort of Christian because England is still sort of Christian. Mm. <laughs> and the Queen, you know, and now the King, uh, the head of the Church of England, and therefore they coming from England, you know, but wouldn't necessarily want to go to church or anything like that. But so there's the culture can be can sometimes take the name of the religion, mm. and there's a lot of intriguing overlap between culture and religion. And sometimes they correlate quite strongly, as in Singapore. Other times you get people who say, no, we are we are from Thailand or we are from Cambodia, but we're not Buddhist mm. because otherwise the person might assume that they are, you see? Mm. So often it needs clarification. All religions, uh, some all around the world, there are things happening in the name of religion that are problematic and I would say wrong and send the wrong signals about the nature of that religion. So what we're trying to do in Dunedin in a small way is to counteract that by saying, well, if we look at the core understandings of each faith and we're prepared to share those with each other and to live them out in hospitality towards each other, then we're providing a model in a small way for the whole world. And so when people come to the university and they see an interfaith event, 
they might go back home and um, try it out. <laughs> There's a young Muslim student came here from England um, to do his doctorate in physiotherapy and he joined our Abrahamic group. And when he went back home to England, he um, joined up with the interfaith group in his university. And when my wife and I went to England a few years ago, Osman moved out of his flat. He said, Greg and Hilda, you can have it. I'm going to go and live with mum for a week. Mm. My home is your home. So, (laughs) yeah, and um, precious friendships like that are formed. Um, So, yeah, everyone is invited to the um, Harmony Dinner, and it is a program of the United Nations internationally. Mm. And last year... Our Interfaith Council became the vehicle for helping establish the Otago branch of the United Nations Association in Dunedin, or to re-establish it. It had been not meeting for a number of years. And so this Harmony Dinner is is following a program of the United Nations, and it has international support uh, from people like the King of Jordan, who is a prominent uh, Muslim supporter of interfaith internationally. And so all around the world during this week, uh, the second week in February each year, there are people meeting to, um, yeah, to live out that vision of harmony. That's why it's called a harmony week. And it doesn't mean we're not aware of all of the struggle and the pain and the the war and the strife and the struggle in the world, we're not denying that, but in the midst of all of that, we can come together and share food together and hear some inspiring speakers from our council and from this year from Rula, from the Muslim community. And Rula has recently been back to Gaza with her family, so she might speak about that as well. Mm. Here's an opportunity to build some bridges of understanding and to meet some new friends. And the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have wonderful facilities. They have a beautiful modern hall and kitchen, which they make available for free. And they are a church um, which is heavily invested into interfaith internationally because they are a church which is distanced a little bit from the mainline Christian churches in that they also, like Islam, claim and believe strongly that they have another prophet who has come after Jesus, peace be upon him. And for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that is Joseph Smith. For Islam, that is the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And so there is an intriguing little crossover between Islam and this particular church, Mm. theologically, some of the dynamics are similar, mm. whereas Islam and the Mormon church would not necessarily accept the teachings of each other's prophets. They've had a similar experience of what they firmly to believe to be a new revelation from God. Mm. And so we learn about these different understandings of God from each other, but we don't we don't talk in ways that are otherworldly. We share how we are and we ask each other how we are 
and how can we help each other to live better lives in, in Dunedin. Mm. And there is a hope this year that the Otago Students Interfaith Group at the university will start up again. It's been in recess for a few years, but George Lethbridge and um, a few others are keen to start up that group on campus so that university students can meet as people of different faiths and mm. organise some programmes at the university, which used to happen when yeah. I was there. Especially with uh, international borders are open, I'm mm. sure there will be a lot more students who mm. are mm. looking for that as they come in. Mm. Yes, and I think it sends a good signal to people coming in if they can see that there are groups where people of different religions and cultures are intentionally meeting to build friendships and understanding not to avoid each other, not to be suspicious, not to be assuming that they are superior in any way to the others because that is the opposite of what we're trying to do. I really appreciate having you today, Greg. I feel like um, you really contributed so much to mm, this um, okay. interview. Well, thank you for and, the opportunity. Yeah. Um, so, yep. Yeah, so the mm. World Interfaith Harmony Week dinner is mm-hmm. happening on Wednesday, mm-hmm. 8th February mm-hmm. at 6.30 p.m. Can mm-hmm. you remind me where it is? It's in Fenton Crescent, St. Clair. Fenton Crescent, you just go up to the end of Fenton Crescent to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints mm-hmm. at 6.30. Um, if you need transport, please email our secretary of the Dunedin Interfaith Council at dunedininterfaith at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll also put details on Facebook. There is a poster which is going up at the mosque and in churches and synagogue and other places all around Dunedin. So we're encouraging people of all faith communities to come and to learn and to experience harmony together Mm. so that we might be stronger to face up to the pain and the injustice and the problems of our world. Mm. Thank you so much, Greg. Really appreciate you being here today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Connecting Cultures Features on RFM. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.